Good evening, morning, or afternoon. Whenever you're listening to this, my name is Corey Johnson, and I'm the host of the Southern Liberal Podcast. All right, today we are going to be talking about police reform. Exciting, hurrah. We're going to be taking a look at the uh, Black Lives Matter protests that are happening around the country and their effectiveness and or defectiveness, as I might argue a little bit of. But of course, as always, you are listening to a liberal communication. So I will give you a couple of minutes to turn this off or to send an angry tweet or to do something, whatever you conservatives do to show you're angry, go ahead and do that now. Uh, and don't listen to the rest of the podcast because you're not going to like it. Because we're the snowflakes, right? On the, on the left. So I'm, this is a snowflake what, telling you you're not going to be able to handle the rest of this podcast. So turn it off. Let's give them a second. See if they turned it off. Good. Perfect. You can also, if you're so angry, this would really be my my shiniest moment. Um, as as this is like episode two, uh, you can get angry with me, and I would love it if you did that at my Twitter account at Southern Libs L I B S at Southern Libs. That is where you can find me on Twitter. You can also go to my website, uh, thesouthernliberal.com, where you can find these podcasts and a few other articles I've written. There you will find my email, and you can send death threats or I don't know what you conservative people do. Whatever you accuse us of doing, that's what you can do at that, right? And then I need to issue a warning to all my would-be or could-be, maybe, um, liberal people. I'm a Southern liberal, so I'm kind of moderate. You're going to see me break a little bit from the traditional liberal agenda. Um, I'm also 35, so I'm a little old. So I'm going to be giving you young liberals kind of a, a lesson on what it meant for us super early millennials to become liberal. It was a very different time. So you might hear that attitude reflected. I'm also a, a man. So you might hear that um, perspective reflected. So I don't have anything interesting about me. A very boring middle-aged man. Uh, and like all middle-aged men, I started a podcast because I think everyone has to hear my opinion. I think at 35, the same way I did at 18, that I have everything figured out. And that is the reason I started a podcast. It's the same reason that all 30 middle-aged men will start a podcast at some point in their life. So, enjoy it. Episode 1 was what? Episode 2 is this. This is it. I'm uh, recording this. And because every day in 2020 is so ridiculously different, I am recording this on August 4th of 2020. And I just think that's so important because in 2020, you have to put every single 
month into perspective because if I had done this three months ago, it would have been a completely different perspective because that's what we have to do in 2020. We have to figure it out as we go. I think in America, no matter what side of the fence you fall on, you have to admit our government poorly responded to the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, I would argue, while I'm not a complete libertarian, I believe we have to have somewhat of a strong federal government. I believe ultimately our government let us down quite a bit. Um, now, I can say that evenly stated that our government let us down in this while, while not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think we have an amazing government. I think we have an amazing political system that has done some amazing things. It's not perfect. It never will be perfect. And this is a political podcast, so you're never going to hear me say we just need to anarchy this thing to the ground and and out of the ashes some sort of government will form because currently we just don't have an entirely better one. Um, I think that a lot of the things people reach out about or speak out about on the left are the fact that, you know, we're not democratic enough. And I certainly think that's true. I certainly think if you look at the major issues which, which face Americans today, uh, on the left, we are strong, all strong supporters of universal health care because we believe universal health care or health or access to medicine um, is a human right and shouldn't be auctioned, shouldn't be bidded for, uh, shouldn't be something that only the those that have, I think, quote unquote, worked hard should have an access to. Now, I will admit a bias to that because I have access to great health care. But, you know, I went to college. I'm a college man, an English literature man, a studier of literature. Um, and I've got a job that is lucky enough to give me that health care. And every day I thank my stars for that job. It's an amazing job for an amazing tech company. I will not name them because that is not important. Um, but I have an amazing, you know, I got lucky. But I, I think that that same access should be for every American. I don't want any other American to be deprived of that. So on the left, I support that. And however, do I think that the federal government has the wherewithal, the manpower, the resources to carry out the successful implementation of universal health care. As a Southern liberal, I just don't. You know, I, I am. I think I am libertarian enough to say that they don't. So there's a few things you're going to hear me break from, and I'm interested in those things. So uh, we're going to be talking about those throughout the podcast. If you, if you like any bit of what I just said, or if you hate any bit of what I just said, just subscribe. But we have now seen in August, enough of the Black Lives Matter movement played out, or at least the agenda somewhat played out, um, in the protests around the country over the death of George Floyd. A horrific event in American history. I, 
there will be one thing you'll hear me get upset at if anyone ever does in this world. If you find yourself going, but who was George Floyd? And you find yourself digging into whatever mistakes the man might have made. I don't know what they were. I don't dig into those things. That is, you've lost the point 200%. The only thing I need to know about George Floyd is that he was a fellow American citizen, let's say, right? He was another person in this world who would still be alive if it were not for the, I don't know how to, this is a fiery statements, right? If it were not for the, let's call them ineffective on the light side, police system. Police system that's ineffective, that, that sought, and somehow in the beginning of this arrest attempt with George Floyd, they sought to arrest a citizen. That was at least the goal, I assume, that they were going to arrest this man. Um, and somewhere between I'm going to arrest this man for a crime I believe he's committed and I'm choking him out in the street and he dies. Somewhere between that, we saw the ineffectiveness of our police system. Because certainly, we know that we're a nation of laws. We have to have those laws. They're important to us. And I don't think any real American is assuming that we need to take the law and we need to rip it back. It's not, it's not the laws that are the problem, although some laws might be the problem. It is an ineffective police system which allows a police officer, which even allows that police officer to kill a man while trying to arrest him. And we're talking about an unarmed man. We can at least agree, at least if you have any sense in your head, that this is an ineffective system. It's not effective. I would hope, and I've committed wrongs in my life, and I'm sure if anyone ever hears this, they'll rip into every one of those wrongs, and that's fine. You know, I admit it. But I hope that at least in those moments I was treated with, you know, a modicum of of don't kill me, you know, I would say respect, but I mean, you know, at least don't kill me, allow me to, to stand trial and to face those wrongs in my life. And in the wake of that, and in the wake of that video, and that video was so important, so important to this, we might have gone from you know, I think you have, we've gone through such a range of emotions. And I hope you felt those emotions out there because I certainly have. You know, you watch that video and it just breaks your heart. Right, left, middle, it doesn't matter. That video just, just breaks everything. You see a father, you see a husband, you see just the most awful thing. It's, it's very difficult to, to watch. And of course you get angry. And of course you get upset. And of course you want things to change. Any rational person would. Um, 
irrational people go, well, what did he say to the police officer? What did he do before the thing happened to the thing? And I'm sorry, that's not, when you watch that video, at the moment of that video, with the cop kneeling on his neck, what he did before that, prior to like trying to assassinate the president or something like that, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's certainly things he could have done before that, that might have warranted that, but it's not at all what George Floyd did. You just lose the argument. So you have to stop. People on the right, you have to stop doing that. You have to stop digging into who the person was. And you have to see them as your cousin, brother, nephew, friend from down the street and wonder how that could happen to someone so close to you. That how the police force is allowed to do that. Because certainly they were allowed. People were filming it. No other police officers intervened. So right there, you can stop right there and agree we need to change the police force. And that's where I'm going to stop bothering you on the right. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you alone. I'm going to assume all of you agreed. That's where we stop right there. Something's wrong. We've got to fix it. Now, I want to switch back over. Let's say you're someone in the Black Lives Matter movement. And you've been in the movement since the beginning of the movement. Which I think, let me check here. When was the actual beginning of, of yeah, the founding of the movement? Excuse me. And I am using Google, so if you hate Google, maybe it's going to lie to me. So we would think, according to Google, according to the Wikipedias, the Black Lives Matter movement was founded in 2013. And it began with the hashtag Black Lives Matter social media movement after the acquittal of George Zimmerman and the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Um, so that's 2013. So we're talking seven years later from a point when people in the African-American community and the black community, I'm sorry, I, I can, I'm just going to say black. I think we've, we've reached that point. Um, and I hope that doesn't offend anyone. I'm going to say black. Um that, that people in the black community have spoken about this in ferocity. It's not like this is the first time that this has been heard of, but for seven years, the Black Lives Matter movement has been telling America quite publicly the police are targeting people of color. Can you please help us? We are concerned about this. Um, and they've been saying this. You have to see the fuel from the other side. If for seven years you've been getting out this message and you have countless examples of, hey, I know this person. They were targeted. This was an unlawful shooting. This was something that the that my friend who was black was killed because just because he was black and he, you know, the police were out of line. So seven years of that boiling. And you try to come along and you take a, an example that pushes that movement just, uh, you know, hopefully a lot of steps further. And you go, yeah, but this time, you know, you break down the events of what happened with George Floyd, who he was, you know, where he bought breakfast that day. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. 
You have lost the point already. It does not matter, you know? Um, like I said, short of him being a terrorist, it doesn't matter. He was murdered, and he was murdered by people we pay to protect us. And we all pay them, and we want them to protect us. And that's just the truth of things. All right. Now, of course, this isn't... <laughs> This isn't one of those things where, I mean, you can go on Twitter, but I probably won't read it, but you can do it and that'd be awesome. That, that these are, these are the arguments. They're laid out before us. People have taken to the streets. They want reform. They want police reform. One of the voices out of this want for police reform has been defund the police. I can only, it's my podcast, so I guess I have to speak my personal opinion on this. I don't think this is it. I don't think defund the police is the thing that we need. I think we need to focus on qualified immunity and getting bad cops out. I also think we need to focus on ending the war on drugs. Um, so I will break right there. I'm not saying that defunding the police some is not going to be effective. Because I think that's going to send the message to the police. So I think, and that's what I think it was initially supposed to do. I don't think that when defund the police came about, it was, it came with the idea that we don't need police at all. I think it came with the idea that we need to take some of the funding away from police so that we can put that into into social programs and education and uh, community programs that really help build the sense of like, you know, we're police, we're here to protect you and, and change that. But you cannot have those conversations without ending the war on drugs. We have got to end the war on drugs. It is not and should not, you know, I, I think that we, it should not be the job of the police to end the war on drugs. And I think that's exactly what this country has laid at the foot of police. It's not why any police officer signed up. And that is the thing that we forced on police officers. You know, you have people who are living in tough situations I'm not going to sit here and tell you that drugs are right. I'm, I don't use any drug other than alcohol, which I recognize as a drug. I don't use a drug. You know, that's a personal choice of mine. I did use marijuana at a younger, very young age. And I've, you know, and I stopped using that. But I don't advocate that. I don't have a problem with it as long as it's something someone, choo whatever someone chooses to do in the privacy of their own home. And they're not out stealing for the habit, you know, I don't have a problem with personally. But that's the problem. And that's the thing. And, you know, in a sense, I I want to say that I'm upset at what this police officer has done to George Floyd. I'm upset what the police force as a whole has done to the black community. Of course. Of course I recognize it. But... I also recognize that because we have asked police officers 
to become the warriors for the war on drugs. We've asked them to, and we rewarded ones. You made this big drug bust. We're going to promote you. Yeah, we've built a, a very big police force in America around the war on drugs. And, and I don't think that's fair. Not at all. I don't think that's fair to police officers. Because I don't think a police officer signed up to end the war on drugs. I don't think most police officers don't care. You know, what they are concerned with is the safety of citizens in their community. The police officers that I've met are 100% would tell me that's correct. They're like, when it comes to safety, that's what I want to do. I wanted to take care of the, of the public, protect people from people. And because that's the truth, you know. We are the citizens. We are the people who abide by the law, but we're also the people that break it. And the police serve a very important role. But... People on the right confuse that. People on the right assume that all the police officer is doing with a 10-hour shift is it's 10 hours of protecting people from robberies, 10 hours from getting in, you know, standoffs with shooters. You know, that's not it. And even a police officer would say that's not it. What, I, what they do spend their time doing is writing tickets and raising money for the city, for the county, uh, for the state that they work for. And they've become a fundraising group. And we've also told cops, you have to be out there writing tickets. So again, we have significant issues within our own police, The what we tell police to go out and do as a, as a system, as a system of policing. We have problems with that. We, we are telling police officers, you need to go out, you need to write tickets, and that's what you need to do. You know, if you're not writing tickets, you're not being productive. I watched a really great documentary, and it was someone who was a whistleblower in the NYPD who basically said that quotas don't exist, but they exist. And they exist in the form of um, the leadership in the police measuring the success of an officer or the, I don't think they use success, they use a different uh, productivity. Let's call it that. They use, we can all understand that, work in corporate America. If the productivity of an officer is measured in the tickets they write, and that's how one is promoted through that ranks. You have to be productive, be a productive officer. So if you're not making drug busts, or you're not making, you're not writing citations, you're not being productive, well, you're not a productive officer, you're a problem. And that's kind of how they are treated. And of course, these things have to be taken head on. They definitely do, because what you have is you have unions that protect the officers. So when the officer does something wrong, the union's job, because they the officer pays the union, so the union knows the officer. If I do something wrong, you need to come in and protect me. And there we get these qualified immunity issues. Okay? And while the officer's on the work, on the shift, we have the city, the state, the government. Let's just we'll just call them the government, city, state. 
county, whatever they work for, saying, well, you need to be out there writing tickets, raising money. And don't kid yourself, fellow citizens of America, you are the ones who pay for those shiny-looking uniforms and those nice new SUVs they drive. Every single speeding ticket they write for you is just another ram on a tire. So don't kid yourself on that. So there we are. We're ripping at the roots of policing. We have to take these things, the fundamentals that are incorrect, and we have to fight them. And I'm all for any American citizen, any person that lives in a democracy or a, a nation that calls themselves free, taking to the streets and protesting. Go for it. It is your right. And actually, from the thinkers of democracy, the people that thought democracy up, only when people are protesting and, and doing things like that to express their rights, can you know that you have a healthy democracy? So I would go on and I would say that every protest has been a sign that our democracy is healthy, that citizens are allowed to protest. However, we have got to take the problem head on. We've got to end qualified immunity. We have to stop the bad cops from staying bad. Right? We've got to end the war on drugs. These are difficult things. These are things that are going to need to be passed on a national level. But most importantly, we have got to stop this pressure from City Hall, from the county, from the state, for these officers to be out constantly writing tickets and only being told they're productive if they're writing tickets and tickets and tickets and tickets. Because you and I are paying that. I'd rather pay higher taxes and not have to be afraid if I go 10 above the speed limit, I'm going to get ticketed. And don't get me into the bloated bureaucracy of our government because I'll be here all day. But I will say that this is one instance where it's people coming up against the bloated bureaucracy of our government and saying, we've had enough. However, <laughs> we're not really getting at the roots. If we're demanding for defunding of the police, we're not, that's, you know, great. A few police officers get fired. We can't, and that lies, I, and I'm going to criticize the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement. Therein lies the problem. It's that we need a list of demands. We need to know that qualified immunity is going away. You know, we need to get, we can change our government from the inside of our government, but we have to know these are the things that we're working for. And I think every protester, and I've been at the protest too, Every protester needs to know these are the things we want. And before we start burning down businesses, we first got to, you know, we got to issue a list of demands. And they have to be clear and they have to be concise. And there can be many of them. We have to start with something. 
And I think the most powerful thing is the ending of qualified immunity. It's hard to end the war on drugs. But if we lead with qualified immunity, we have something. I think we have something that even people on the right and moderates can get behind. You know. And there's my two cents. I think we've got to, to take the Black Lives Matter movement. And I say we, I mean people on the left, because it's obvious that people on the right are not joining us. I don't consider myself an interior part of this movement. Of course I don't, because I'm a white person. Um, that is just my thoughts on how we can best push this kind of change. Because I agree that there should be change. And I know that I am not the leader that's going to walk in and change things. Um, I know that this is something sacred and significant to black Americans. And so if anything that I've said as a white American is, you know, I've gone past the boundaries of what I should have said, you know, I do apologize for that. I, I really want the same things. However, I, I think, I don't know if I want this. I want more. I want more police reform than I see pushed for. Like, I want us to end the war on drugs. I want us to stop useless ticketing. I want us to defund a lot of things in the government. And I want us to let people get being back to being free in a free country. And you're going to hear that theme a lot. So, well, that's it. I think I've taken up 200 hours of your time. If you enjoy it, if you want to hate me, if I've said something inappropriate, or outspoken, or I've just, you know, maybe I've kept the patriarchy going, then you, if you like that part, though, then you should wait, because I'm getting my sister, who is kind of a moderate conservative, but she's also a veteran. I think she's becoming a little more liberal every day. I'm actually trying to get her on the podcast so we can get a female perspective uh, to be my co-host. So we'll see. Hopefully, you know, that'll happen. If not, I hope everyone out there is safe tonight. I hope that we beat this COVID thing. I hope that every single person in the world knows that they are loved and that people care for them. There's my sappy sign-off line. All right. So if you've listened this far, maybe you want to hear more. That's great. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at at Southern Libs, L-I-B-S, at Southern Libs. You can go to the website, thesouthernliberal.com, where you can find my email address. And you can reach out to me via email with anything you want to know. If you want to tell me I suck or, you know, the sound sucks, I'm really new to this mixer. I don't really understand it. You can reach out at southernliberal2021 at gmail.com. Please don't get me canceled because I haven't really started and no one's paying me to do this. But everyone have a good one. And that's the way the cookie crumbles.